We have been in a series. Actually, I, I did this the first service, and I just thought I should mention it. I wanted to start with a little piece I like to call Things Men Don't Have to Think About. It's just a little thing, because I am wearing a dress today, and it's not often that you get to preach in a dress, because, why, why? I don't know, you haven't had to think about it. Men, I know, maybe some of you men did, I don't wanna assume, but you have to hook this to something. See this little battery pack? It has to hook to something. So how often, men, are you wearing an outfit where there's no place to hook something, rarely? But I was like, I wanna wear this dress, darn it, so I'm gonna wrap this thing as many times around me as I can, and I'm gonna cinch it, and it is firm, and this pack is holding, and that is the segment things men don't have to think about. I appreciate you men, I appreciate all the things you do think about for us and with us, powerful partnerships. On we go, which is important. I wanted that to be on the, I think we record this one, so I just really wanted that to be on YouTube. Um, we have been going through a series um, called, called Ecclesiastes. Um, we named it after a book of the Bible. Um, and it's kingdom living, so we're just going through every week one chapter of Ecclesiastes, and today we're at Ecclesiastes 4, and that's where we will be. Um, when Jason opened this series, he gave us this really great sentence to describe um, Ecclesiastes. Um, it says, to live wisely, freely, and generously with our death in mind. And that's kind of the summary statement. So to live wisely, freely, and generously with our death in mind. There's a word that's repeated over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Does anybody know what it is? Everything is meaningless, vanity. It's hard because there's different translations. Meaningless, vanity. That word is hybel. It means breath, which just means it's gone. It's here. It's gone. Try to, try to grab smoke. Try to catch the wind. Try to grab it. You can't. It's just life. Oh, gosh. What does it mean? Um, and that is what we are walking through. I have been thinking about, I um, and somewhat, I would say on a scale of one to 10, I'm like a 5.5, familiar with the Enneagram. Um, but for those of you who are, or those of you who aren't, if you're not, it's probably because you're an eight or four, um, because you're like, oh, that's not for me, I'm individual, or you can't tell me what I am. Um, that's okay. But I was just thinking about my friends who are fours. Are there anybody here who is a four in the audience? Okay, yes, thank you. And you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to self-identify. Ah, I see some. Yes, I see another four with the mustache in the balcony. And I just bet my four friends love this series. This Ecclesiastes feels like a place where you just live. Thinking about the world and all of it and the depth of pain and the meaning and you just are like, yes, this is a Wednesday for me. This is amazing. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we are spending some time. But the book of Ecclesiastes, we're in chapter 4, and it doesn't change much, right? We have been hearing about, so you have the sevens in the room who are like, can we talk about something fun? Like, come on, let's give me some fun. I am a seven. Um, but there is a theme of Ecclesiastes, and that theme is that everything is a breath. So what's the point? I look around and I'm seeing everything be pointless. What is the point? And that is where we're going today, in a, in a sense. But there is the beauty of God's word in the way that it brings us through that I'm excited about where we get to go today together. And I have also really appreciated this series and the grounding that it does. Um, there are different kind of schools of thought around theology. There's celebration theology, um, which is very true. Like God is powerful and overcoming and will come again. And there's lament theology, which is Christ is a suffering servant. 
Um, his suffering is where we live. Um, those things are both true. And this book lands in the lament side of theology, and, and it can be really helpful uh, for us to spend some time there, depending on where we've been in our lives. So let's get into the text. I'm going to pray for myself, because I feel like coffee and no breakfast. I'm feeling a little... Ugh. So, Lord, thank you for this morning, for the worship, um, for time just to be together, for a beautiful Colorado fall weather, um, and just would you show us something that will help us understand you more and um, live out your word today. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes 4, from the top. Why didn't I, why didn't I bookmark it? Some would say, and, and I would say, why didn't you bookmark it, Jody? That would have been a good idea. It's in the middle. So if you're looking for it along with me, welcome. All right, chapter four. Again, this is the teacher. This is the, the voice that's been narrating this that we're introduced to at the beginning. A king, a son of David somewhere. Again, I, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living, but most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless, the breath, like chasing the wind. Fools fold their hand, idle hands, leading them to ruin, and yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Um, those first six verses, I, um, I can relate to that. Like, I remember being pregnant and feeling like, am I going to really bring someone into this? Is that fair? There's a lot of stuff going on. Life is kind of... Um, and so I can understand that. There's other places in Scripture where this same sentiment is expressed. Job 10, 19. Job, after some terrible calamities fall upon him, I wish I'd never been born. Job 10, 19. Matthew 26, 24, Jesus to the disciples at the Last Supper before Judas's betrayal. Woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Ooh, that is heavy. And it is what is being expressed here in Ecclesiastes in these first six verses. Um, on we go. Verse seven. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Or cord of three strands in my NIV 1984. Cord of three strands is not easily broken. Um, I like the imagery here. Um, what caught me about this was the weaving. Um, when, I, when I think about this verse, this is what I feel like doing. Like weaving like this. That's what makes me feel I'm like, oh yeah, weave, weaving. I like that imagery. We need each other. Um, I think this section of scripture is just saying we need each other. And let's finish the chapter off so we just cover the text. Um, verse 13. It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. 
Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. In my Bible, this, head, this hub title to this section is called The Futility of Political Power. Um, it's kind of like that. I don't know about you, but I just have been waiting. I'm just like, please, 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 2024. I can't wait for another election season. Yeah. Is it here yet? No, I'm not feeling that way at all. It's a complicated season. Um, but for, any of, for those of us who've been through multiple election cycles, for those of us who pay attention to what's going on in the world, you see countries where there's power struggles and there's people taking over power, there's military coups, there's, there's, there's a constant kind of revolving door of who's in power, who is in control, um, a, lot of, a lot of speculation about what has been done and what should be done and who would be in charge. And, and for us here in our country and the way that our system works too, it's like you can spend, a, there'll be a lot of conversations about what's wrong because of who's been power and what we're gonna lose if they don't stay in power and then someone else will get elected and then it'll be what's wrong because they're in power but what's gonna be right because they're in power. And we, we just know this reality really, really well. And I'm not saying politics don't matter. I think faith-filled people um, moving in to make changes in government is really, really important. And I'm grateful for folks who have dedicated their lives to do that. And if our hope rests in who is there, I think we see here in this text that we just know it's kind of, kind of just a around and around we go a little bit. Um, and there's, we should pay attention to it, but it is not the thing, especially for us followers of Jesus. It can't be the thing um, that we're going to look to to fix things. Um, so this, the, the author here is just really pointing that out. Where we're going to go back to today um, is we're going to go back to the top of verse 1. Just wanted to cover all of the, all of the text. And at first glance, I'm thinking, he says, again, I observe the oppression that takes place under the sun. And in this book, we also hear nothing is new under the sun. So this is not something that was new to them, it was not, and it's not new to us now. Something that's unfortunate, I think, is like words like oppression, which we see here in the text, um, words like pri privilege, words like justice, words like um, power, have, have somewhat been hijacked currently in our day and age, and they've been kind of used in ways that we can just hear those words and be like, whatever, I'm not having one of those talks. Whatever that means, whatever angle you're coming at from. And I understand that. I mean, we've had a lot of hard conversations. There's been a lot of unhelpful conversations probably that have happened in all of our circles where we're like, I don't, can we just not? Can we just not? Um, and I think it's smart to not go there in unhelpful ways. But I just see in the text, like it's in the text the ideas of oppression and privilege and power dynamics and racism and gender issues have been around from the beginning of time. New generation, new name. It comes by many names, and it's all generational sin. And my hope is that when we start to see this, we talk about it, and we see it in the text, this is not something that we are like, hey, we're going to talk about this today because this is important. We're talking about this today because it's in the Word of God. And that's why I love teaching through books, because you just talk about 
what it's talking about, and so will we. So here are some things that I've learned um, as I do some of this work, because I engage and interface with lots of different um, vantage points around talking about oppression and privilege, and I know that it's a it's just a, ugh, it's a thing. But you know what I'm really grateful for? I'm really grateful that Boaz leveraged his privilege and power to bring Ruth into the fold in the family of God. I'm really grateful that when I see people who have, that they give it away in a way that makes things look more like the kingdom. And I really think that is the redeemed, reclaimed definition of what we're talking about here. And I would love for Two Rivers Church to be a place where we redeem and reclaim the real conversation around these topics so that we don't create a cancel culture inside these walls, but we create more of a consequence culture. There are consequences for things that we do, but that doesn't mean that we cancel each other. I can make a mistake that has consequences, but I don't want to cancel my brother or sister because they have offended me, but their offense could cause there to be a rift in our relationship that takes time to repair. There's a difference. And I think the kingdom of God is called to be a consequence culture, not a cancel culture. Like, we're in it with you. Your behavior has consequences, good and bad, but we're a family. We're a family. And I think one of the most helpful uh, attributes of a family that can have these conversations really well is a family that learns and can see and can identify, okay, when I hear something that offends me or I hear a conversation where I feel blamed, I feel blamed for something, when am I being blamed or are we just naming a dynamic? Could we potentially become a people, and I think we are, who instead of responding to the blame that I feel around something, I can put that aside and say, are we just naming a dynamic here? Is something happening here that we need to name, but we need to not let our defense mechanisms flare up and then cancel the conversation before we just say, this is just what I've experienced. Can we just name that? Could we just name that perhaps and then move through it? Um, I think those are tools that the church needs to have as we navigate conversations around being with people, being with people. Because here's one thing I know. One strategy of oppression, which you can rename that generational sin, you can rename that evil, you can rename that a lot of isms. One characteristic of it is it confuses. It wants to confuse and therefore create language gaps, um, actual social gaps. It wants to confuse so that people divide and hunker down and they don't connect. And if we can name, the more dynamics we can name, the less confusion there can be. The more we talk to each other, the more experiences we share, the less confusion oppression can have and we can move towards each other. And I think that is exciting. And there's just a difference there. And here's the question it really boils down to. All of this stuff boils down to this question that I learned from a welcoming prayer practice um, that I'm engaged in, and it's just this. Would I rather be right or would I rather be free? And that one just gets me because you know I want to be right. I'm right. This is my husband. I'm right. That's how I feel. I'm like, I, well, that's fine. You can be free. I can be right. We'll, we'll just do that. But that's not, that's not what I really want. We live in a culture that wants to be right. So it makes sense to me that we go down, that we get swept down that current because we live in a culture that just wants to be right. Oh, but we serve a kingdom that wants to be free. And that's difficult. 
that is difficult. But the word of God and the spirit of God have a way through that is different. We don't have to be swept away by the culture, but we are in it. So would I rather be right or would I rather be free? Because the anecdote, the anecdote to oppression, to racism, to power dynamics is this. Relationships. Relationships. Relationships aren't going to solve the big, huge, sweeping, systemic issues that we see. But they will bring healing to the places that we live. These dynamics have been in place. I don't know what, like the time period that this was written. I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. That was true then. It's true now. It's been true all in between. The Lord's patience with evil is something I do not understand. So I don't see that reality changing, but I see my city changing. I see my school changing. I see my neighborhood changing, there is the hope. There is the hope. Because it can feel hopeless. So, we can, and we, we can think about the songs we even sang today. So the songs we sang today, Oh soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? That feels like a song that the teacher could have sang. No light in the darkness do I see. That is where he is when he's writing this. But there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of this earth, they go like strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We have to be with him. We have to. We have to be with the one who calls us beloved. That is our responsibility. You feel like there's no light in the darkness you can see. Have you turned your eyes upon Jesus today, last week, this month? Feels like this season. If I could go back and catalog how much time I have stolen away, ripped myself out of the tyranny of the urgent, pushed back from the distractions, set it down, turned it off, gotten away. How many times have I done that? Do I fight for that the way I fight for other things? Have I done that so I can look? Brain science, neuroscience has taught us that our identity, identity cannot be formed outside of relationship. We don't know who we are outside of relationship, outside of family, outside of the Trinity, outside of reflecting back on someone else. So when we're asked to turn our eyes to Jesus, it's go, sit, be with the one who knows who you are. Look full in his wonderful face. Eye contact with someone who loves you, changes your brain, sets your identity, plants you firmly on a foundation. It's why we're supposed to be with him. And you can do that however you want. You don't have to read the Bible. I have a lot of friends who can't read. So if the only way to be with Jesus was to read the Bible, they're SOL, out of luck, sure out of luck. I think if you, that, what were you thinking? Okay, I thought we were Christians, okay. We have to. We have to be with him. If you can read, I mean, it's a great place to start. Reading the Bible is a great idea if you want to know who you are. But doing things that make you come alive, 
also is a way to do that. I know there are people here who think it's super fun to go find surfaces that are just natural and then climb them. They're like, I'm going to go climb. I'm going to go boulder. I'm going to go like do... I'm like, did you know there's a road? You can just drive like right here. Like, did you know you, there's just, you don't have to chalk. You don't have to do that. You can just, you can just actually walk up there, but that's good job. Maybe that's your thing, though. You're like, I feel alive. Ah! It's not my thing, obviously, because I don't think anybody climbs like this. I don't think this is like a move. But what is it? Do you have that? Do you make space for that in your life? You have to. I feel feeling any negative thing, but I haven't spent time with the only person who can take rid of that, get rid of that negative thing. Well, I can't do anything about that. You can do something about that. We have to turn our eyes. You are my vision. You are my wisdom. You are my true word. You are with me, and I am with you, Lord. You are my great father, and I am thy true daughter. It doesn't rhyme, but that's what I say because I'm a woman, son. You are with me, and we are one. These songs are to call us back into relationships, so we spend time doing whatever it is. If it's going for a walk, if it's writing a song, Ah, other things, other hobbies, doing stuff that stirs desire in us and reminds us that we don't have to be anything because we are loved. We have to do that. Church is a great place to be reminded, and our hope is that church and gathering in your small groups and your life groups, that you take something with it and it echoes into your week. It echoes into your month. That's wonderful. It's great to come and to gather and to keep going. But here's what happens And here's what I imagine. So we have that time, we're looking, we're gazing upon Jesus, we're like the things of the earth are growing strangely dim in the light of the reality that I am loved and I am cared for and I am known and I can be free and I can drop all the masks and I don't have to perform and I'm just looking and what often happens when we look to the creator, we look at his face, he lifts our chin, it's like he just lifts our chin just to gaze into his eyes And after an experience like that, he'll often say, daughter, now look down here at this. This is not how it's supposed to be. I need your help. Because when we look at God, when we look at Jesus, when we spend time with God, we start to see what God sees. And we start to hear what God hears. Psalm 12, 5 says this. The Lord replies, I have seen the violence done to the helpless. I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them and they have longed as they have longed for me to do. Church, Jesus left. He left the spirit of God. We inhabit and the spirit lives in us. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body. This new covenant reality is that is our job now. That is our job to see the violence, to hear the groans, because we have been empowered to do so. That is our job. Moses, um, we hear what God hears. In Deuteronomy 26, seven, Moses is recounting the slavery of his people um, in Egypt. He says, when the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries, he saw our hardship. He heard our cries, he saw our hardship, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. When we are with 
God, when we turn our eyes, when God is our vision, when we've done that, we can't help but see what God sees and hear what God hears. And God sees the unseen. He sees the unseen. He hears the cries that feel like they've been muffled. And so do we. And some of you, I know, are wired this way. And some of you in this room are like, and I wish I could turn it off. Some of you just can't, you just ache. Oh, with the hurting brokenness around you. And you're like, how do I go to work today when this is a background track in your head is just what you're seeing and what you're hearing and you don't know what to do. And that is a burden and a gift that you carry. And not everyone has it. And some of us need friends like that. And some, we need each other. We need each other. And that is what I love about the rest of this passage. It's so clear that the author knew that. It talks about the cord of strands and what we need and what we need to see. So I got tricked into doing this. So I'm going to tell you a little story about how I got tricked into seeing the unseen. And then I'm going to ask for some examples from y'all. So I'm just giving you a heads up that if something awesome pops into your head, don't be selfish, okay? Share it with the group. Um, I moved to Fort Collins. I applied to work at the Fort Collins. In 2004, I applied to work at the Fort Collins High School Food Court, and they wouldn't hire me. I apparently was not qualified to serve food to high schoolers. So I was just looking and scrolling, and I found a job for a PSD that said insurance. And I was like, wow! Like, Dad's going to be proud of me. I found a job with insurance. So I apply to be a para at an elementary school, which I didn't know then that, of course, you're going to get that job because there's never enough paras. But I was like, oh, I hope I get it. And I walk into the interview, and they said, so tell us about your experience working with people with disabilities. And I was like, I have no experience. Like, did you know that this is a job working in a classroom with kids with disabilities? I was like, well, looky there. Woo! Didn't know it, but I saw insurance, and they're like, you're hired. And I was forced into this world of working with kids with disabilities, and I just had no experience there. All of a sudden, I'm seeing people with disabilities everywhere. I'm like, did we all move here at the same time? Did every per- We all moved here in 2000. This is crazy. We all moved. I just hadn't seen it. I had just never been, it's, I've never been exposed to it. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing differently because of people that I had been around. Does anybody else have a similar thing where you interface with someone different than you and it's changed kind of the way you saw the world in that way, whether you were tricked into it or you were like a good person and you chose it, unlike me? Any, uh, any examples? We had some great ones in the first service. No pressure. No pressure. I'm going to wait for one example. So just if you see, you're not going to outweight me for this situation. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I, I, I didn't know old people were cool, and I met an old person. Or, oh, they think you <laughs> I used to work with children my whole entire life, and then COVID came, and there were no children to work with. And I was really struggling with that And so I went into that, and it has enriched my life in ways I could not have imagined. And it is so clear to me that God puts me exactly where I need to be with every one of these people. Mm-hmm. And I feel profoundly grateful. So that was my experience of winding up where I didn't think I was and having to be so 
Amen. Thank you. That's such a great example of a perspective. Kids to seniors. Very different way to see the world. Very different lived. That's also true. That's also a good point. That's great. Thank you. Any other um, examples? Yes, sir, Jake. It's like I planted you. It's like I planted your example, Jake. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. I didn't plant him, by the way. I didn't. <laughs> it's true. Thank you. Relationship. Perspective. Any other examples you want to share? Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yes. Oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. Mr. Hand, please share. That's a different sermon. Don't go there. Don't go there. Thank you. It changes the way you see the world. It changed the way you see roadkill. <laughs> and that is all I have to share. <laughs> um, obviously, we all have that, those experiences, and I love the, the weaving metaphor of like the cord of three strands, or four, as many strands as you want, four even stronger. Um, but we need each other. We 100% we need each other. And the, and the teacher is telling us that, like it's better. 
It's just better. Like, I see all of this going on. I see this oppression. I see people crying out. I see helplessness. This dude was in charge. He was probably responsible for some of the oppression. Let's be honest. This guy was in power. He probably created some of these terrible things that were happening. Who knows? Um, He had a lot more say in his world than I have in mine. But the way that we get to be woven together is good and right because it changes our perspective. It changes us. Now, if, if you're like me, it's easy for me to, to, to stay around people that are like me, not because I'm doing it on purpose. It's just kind of how humans are wired. We are kind of psychologically wired to be around people who are like us and who, where we're comfortable. And I think that there's a bigger invitation here um, as we go. Like, will we be willing to let God weave whoever he wants into our lives? Is it possible that Jerry has added some color to your life? Is it possible that the people you've worked with in the different stage of life has added some color to your life, the depth and dimension? You can't even drive down I-25 anymore without thinking about your friend. And your life has become more full and more colorful and better as your life has been woven into the stories of people who aren't like you but are at the same time. Would we be willing to let God weave people into our lives who are different than us so that we can have different experiences, so that our perspectives can change, so that we can know that we have a heartbeat behind an issue, not just a theology? And would we be people who live that way? And also, I don't have daughters, so this whole braid situation, (laughs) this is just what we got, okay? I don't, eh, picture day, woo! (laughs) It's probably why I don't have daughters. Oh, we are being woven together with unlikely people. One thing in um, uh, Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and seek him in his temple. 1 Peter 2, 5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are spiritual stones. We are being built to a spiritual house. A spiritual house is a temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, we know our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now, the new covenant reality is like the temple. You don't go to God in a building. You don't have to go find God in a building, but God is in a building if people are in it. Psalm 27, 4, I go to, I want to seek you in your temple. I want to seek you in your people. I want to seek you in your people. How do we keep from being unable to see and hear like God? We let people into our lives. We let God weave people into our lives that are different than us. It will give us a perspective on life we didn't have before. That is the antidote to oppression. That is the antidote to all the isms. That is the antidote is that our churches become full of people that we saw that we didn't see before. Our dinner tables are surrounded by people we had not seen before, but God, because we spent time with God, because we looked to Jesus, we turned to Jesus, looked full in his wonderful face, as we spent time with the creator, we realized everyone was created in the image, and if I sit long enough with God, and I believe that I believe that I believe that everything that's wrong with me, all of my stuff, all of my tendencies, all of my, like, still struggling with that, great, that I am loved though, that I am known, if I know that I'm beloved, then I can see the beloved in others. Henry Nouwen taught us that. If you know that you're beloved, you can see the beloved in others. And so we go and we look for the beloved in others. 
We go towards difference instead of away from it. It's a hard thing to do. We aren't modeled very well how to do it. It's not comfortable. People don't agree with you when you ask better questions. They just want you to have a stance and be able to defend it. And Jesus says, no, I want you to have a heart for people and go to them. That is what I want you to do. He wants us to weave our lives together with different people different than us to grow our perspectives and our empathy. That is what a world that is dying needs. People who know their beloved and then they can see the beloved in anyone, even them. Because all of us have a person, a type of a person or an actual person where if Jesus showed up with them to our house, we would say, no, thank you. I know it's a chance to have dinner with the Son of God, but I don't want to have dinner with them. Interesting. I bet that's how the disciples felt. Hey, Matthew has been stealing money from me, Peter, uh, for a long time. My family has been struggling financially because Matthew has been taking all of my stuff, and he has 9,500,000 pairs of new sandals. Cool. Awesome. Let's travel together. Complicated. Better. It's really important that as we think about our world and we think about conversations that we're having, that we are people who are willing to let the Lord, you don't even have to go find it. You don't have to work harder and do better to like be the person who sees the unseen. I'm just inviting you to spend time with Jesus and say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to see what you have for my life. I'm willing to let you weave some difference into my life. Because when that happens, things change. We change. Someone says a racist joke that you used to laugh at or not even notice, and now because of a friendship, you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Not because of a moral superiority, but because of a friend that you have. Oh, I really wish this, this trip that we're going on, I wish... Oh, everyone's welcome. Well, is there wheelchair accessibility there? Because they're never going to be welcome if that's the case. And I wouldn't have thought of that until I met my friend who's in a chair. That's all it takes. A humility to say, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm naming a dynamic here. Can we let someone say, this has been my experience. When I came on Young Life staff, I met some friends. I have some friends who are Hispanic and some black friends. Um, and their experience of Young Life has been really different than mine. And I didn't really get that. Um, but I just listened to their stories. Um, and it doesn't mean that my experience is invalid. And I think that's where, as a majority culture, I think it's hard sometimes to hear a negative experience of something you've experienced as positive. It can be hard to hold that. I feel a lot of empathy towards my friends. Like my, my husband and all of his friends, like as men, you're told to like, hey, you've held the mic for too long, shut up. But then you're also told in the same breath, your silence is violence. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do with that? That's hard. That's not fair. That's really complicated. I don't like that. So I listen to my friends. I listen to their stories. I love the organization I work with, but it is not perfect. And what I realize and I've learned through this work is like if something is not critiquable, it is an idol. Because if it's not critiquable and there's nothing wrong with it, that means it's perfect which means it has been made into a God because only God is perfect. So if we can't critique something, 
then I would say we might need to just check ourselves a little bit. If we can't critique a person, have they been idolized? And we're just naming the dynamic. I work for an organization that is imperfect. And, I can, and I've, learned, I've learned to critique it. And my experience isn't invalid because someone else's experience is different. And I'm okay with that now. Because I look at the word of God. And I see the word of God tell me, move towards difference. There are people who are crying. My friends of color on staff have been crying out. They feel unseen. The average tenure of someone on Young Life staff, if you're not white, is 1.5 years. That's, I'm not blaming myself for that. I'm just naming a dynamic. And that's a bummer. I, think, I don't think that should be the case. And so in your world, I'm sure you have different places where you've engaged with this. And I know that you've probably been... The hard part is we've had really bad conversations around this. And we've been hurt. And we've been told some things about where we sit and how we look and what we need to do about that. And I wish that wasn't the case. But I'm here to say in this place with this king that we serve, that we have the potential to do things differently. And I see in this text an antidote to the oppression. Because we have a God who wants us to hear what he hears and to see what he sees. And maybe you're feeling unseen. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling like, I, my, horse, my voice is hoarse from crying out, God. I can't cry anymore. There are no tears left. I couldn't be more alone. And you get to be with Jesus in that place. And my guess is that you turn your eyes to him and you spend that time and he heals, he binds up your wounds and he heals your broken heart slowly over time, imperfectly on your part, that you will then be able to look down at a world that is dying because who can recognize someone who's lonely? Someone who's been lonely. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see it. My friend Catrice came and talked to a bunch of Young Life leaders this fall um, at a Young Life thing, and she, and she just talked about her story and the things in her life that she would have said, if you were to ask me, do I, want to, do I want to undo these things? Yes. Do I wish this never would have happened? Yes. Do I have regret? Of course. I wish I could not have this as a part of my story, but it is. And she said, what I've noticed is the reality of Jesus' redemptive work in my life is that my life has become examples of crashing into people who are experiencing things I've had the privilege to persevere through. Because even dead things are used for fertilizer. She didn't choose it, but her life has become a series of crashing into people who have experienced stuff she's had the privilege of persevering through. And that is how she's engaged her story. She said this too, and I was like, that'll preach, Catrice. So I'm preaching it, because I was right. When we're alone on the road of life, it's a gift to meet someone who knows the way home. And there are people in our orbit who feel unseen, who maybe feel unheard by you. Um, and if you're feeling unheard, the best way to open your ears and to open your eyes is to go and listen to others. The best way to be seen is to ask the Lord for eyes to see his people and try it and see if a month from now you don't feel something differently as we move towards the kingdom of God. I'm going to close um, as our worship team comes up. I understand a lot of, there's just a lot of feelings about things. 
I have a lot of feelings about things. We all have people that we know who have been hurt, excluded, forgotten, left out. We've been those people. We've been told some things about who we are and where we sit in society. And I just want to encourage you. Every single one of your perspectives is needed at this table. In this kingdom, at this banquet, we need every single one of your lived experiences at the table. It is so valuable. And I just need you to know that your perspective, though, is not complete. And we need each other. We need each other. So if you felt like you've been told your experience is invalid, it's not. We need you. If you feel unseen and unheard, you are seen and heard by God. In Psalm 27, 4, 4, 7, 8, 13, and 14. So just kind of a sampling of the psalm. We're going to close there. The one thing I ask of the Lord for our church, the one thing that we seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and seeking the Lord in his temple. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, we are coming. Do not let me fall into the hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath I feel threatened, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while we are here in the land of the living, two rivers. Wait patiently for the Lord, friends. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Let's worship.